0: The okay, so this is the Colorado Springs LGBTQ oral history project. My name is Liza Sher. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I'm from Pleasantville, New York, and I'm a junior at Colorado College studying integrative design um, and architecture, and I will be asking
1: the questions during this interview. My name is Zara Ahmad, and I use she, her, hers pronouns. I'm from Westport, Connecticut, and I'm a sophomore at Colorado College, and I'll be taking notes.
0: So to get started, we're going to ask you to introduce yourself. Uh, your names, pronouns, hometown, current profession, any other words you want to use to describe yourself.
2: <laughs> I'm Carolyn Kathy. I'm uh, uh, from Corcoran, California, a small town in the in the valley. Uh, my pronouns are she/her and uh, i'm a, currently a realtor and i have been for longer than you have been alive i think <laughs> uh, i've lived in colorado springs since 1979.
0: Oh, that's a while how do you like it?
2: well <clears throat> i like to lie and say that i was two or three when i moved here but that's not really true so <laughs> Um, I was 19 when I moved here, and uh, so all of my adult life has has been here in Colorado Springs. It has seen a lot of changes, a lot of um, a lot of political unrest, uh, but a lot of forward movement and a lot of happy, happy, happy days uh, spent here. So this is my hometown. I love it here.
0: That's great. Um, Can you say more about the the changes that you've experienced in the Springs?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so, you know, the things that I've seen have, uh, have, uh, you know, spanned 40 years, four decades. And when I first got here as, you know, a teenager, uh, I was, uh, uh, involved with the first community center, the Gay and Lesbian Community Center. Uh, That was started in 1978. And I was attending, in 1979, I was attending Pikes Peak Community College. Uh, And uh, my partner at the time uh, uh, was also there. And we went to here a speakers bureau, speaker panel from the Gay and Lesbian Community Center in a psychology class at Pikes Peak Community College. And, of course, uh, they picked us out of the crowd. (laughs) And uh, so that weekend they were putting on a show, the women were, the, the girls were, Uh, kind of a theatrical uh, presentation and uh, talent show and uh, at the local bar and so they snuck us in (laughs) because (laughs) we were underage and uh, said we were part of the show and it was uh, it was amazing they did parodies of Saturday Night Live and some of the current uh, at the time themes that were, you know, important to us, and uh, and it was just an amazing community that we were introduced to at nineteen, and uh, and these were the people, the men and women who were creating the Gay and Lesbian Community Center, and uh, it went on to be the longest running community center, I think, in the nation. And um, I, I'm 78 to what, 2000 and something, five, six, seven. And uh, uh, we were just very honored to, to be able to have that in such a uh, small, relatively small community. And, uh, and yet um, we were pretty progressive.
0: That sounds it. Um, what kinds of changes did you witness in that, specifically in the community center as time went on? If well, I'm- in
2: 1979, um, we, we didn't know about AIDS yet or HIV. So that came a couple of years later. So we kind of transitioned from, from being a, a gathering we, we weren't brick and mortar yet, so we just had events, and uh, so we kind of transitioned from uh, being more social to being more proactive and and centered around uh, political issues of the day, especially in the '80s when you know we we were fighting to get to get recognition for, for HIV and AIDS and to get healthcare providers it was we couldn't even get doctors to to treat people here yeah, yeah. when it when we first were learning about it so to go from that to uh, to go going through the acceptance and uh, you know uh, Tim Gill uh, was an amazing force in Colorado Springs and uh, in 1988 maybe 87 there was a colonel uh, at Fort Carson and this was way before Don't Ask Don't Tell and um, so there was a drag show that he participated in and uh, he was thrown in jail. He was thrown in Leavenworth. So we, in the late 70s and 80s, we knew people that went to jail for being gay. That was day, a part of our daily life that... If the police decided that they needed to do this, they needed a bust, or the military, because we were a military town back then too, and uh, you know, friends were sent to jail. That
0: must have been really hard.
2: It's different now, it's hard to imagine unless we think about other countries mm-hmm. that aren't as progressive as the United States, unless we think of it in terms of third world conditions or oppressive uh, regimes, then it's really hard for us to, to relate to the old days of when that was, when that was possible for people to be, to be busted.
0: Yeah. Did that... Um... I would imagine that that kind of energy and response um, must have prompted some pretty intense activism in the community.
2: It did, it did. Our lives were dependent upon changing the world. People, our friends were dying from AIDS and HIV. Mm -hmm. People were going to jail kids were being taken away from their parents and co-parents so our lives were on the line then it was a matter of life and death sometimes so in desperate times calls for desperate measures they say so our activism truly was from the heart and and we did it out of necessity.
0: Yeah, what kinds of, um, like what kinds of things did you get up to in terms of this um, activism? Like what what did the movement look like? What kinds of, were there like protests, sit-ins? Kind of just paint a picture of that for us if you can.
2: well in maybe 1980 i remember going to uh, uh i think it was the sect pride fest in denver and it wasn't the hundreds of thousands of people that it was that it is you know or was before covid um and uh, it was uh, pretty pretty risky sometimes for uh like the t-shirts that said you know i'm here i'm queer or whatever you know i can't even remember some of the you know some of the things that we we had but um and it was uh we had um specific uh bookstores gay and lesbian bookstores because we didn't have barnes and noble yet and uh so that was a place where the community came and you know we didn't have amazon we didn't have the internet this was uh, people putting them their selves out there on the line sitting at a booth selling things that were contraband in some instances and uh, the protests those were few and far between. Um, we had to make that different. Um, when we started learning about HIV and AIDS and in the era of Reagan when uh, there was no money being you know, given. And uh, you know, we had the, uh, oh man, Lesbian Avengers. Uh, and um, there was one protest where they went to a local church and uh, threw condoms, you know, to to bring attention to, you know, what was needed in our community. And that people were dying from, you know, from who they loved. Right.
0: Have you – how do you think um... – that activism has changed over time, like then versus twenty twenty for ex- or maybe twenty nineteen before COVID. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think that uh, I think that one of the one of the changes um, it more more recently uh, that has been brought about by activism is gay marriage, same sex marriage, mm-hmm. and um, that. Uh, that was a change that built on, you know, the building blocks that the previous generations—not just mine, but even before—that um, we finally got to that, you know, to that acceptance. And um, those those changes were fundamental. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in my generation, it felt a little more incremental where baby steps, like, maybe we got, you know, uh, you don't get fired now, you know, or um, we threw a fit and threw a protest and, you know, uh, we got adoption rights. And uh, so those were, you know, steps, but I think the big steps have been taken in the last 10 years you know for our for our community and and now we have uh trans issues you know and we really in my generation we had to really learn what that was and we did we had no clues um i was on a helpline in 1979 for the community center and um we were told by it it was ran by the health department and we were told if people call uh, and they are are trans and and that wasn't the words that they used to to, as descriptions then but if uh, if they did call if someone did call then uh, we were to refer them to uh, another helpline because we were not equipped to talk about those things, sure. and uh, it, yeah, it was um, it, it it was a whole different ball game. Then you know, our understanding, our even in our community, we had to take steps for acceptance, learning, and and uh, and becoming more familiar the issues that that the trans community brought with you know to our community to the gay and lesbian community and we became the alphabet soup of you know LGBTQA et cetera etc cetera. and so with each addition of the letters there was there were there was a community that had to learn what that what that was
0: was that challenging or exciting? What What was that like?
2: I was the president of the community center, the president of the board, and we were just beginning to get education from the Gill Foundation on trans issues. And I remember having to have a discussion with a bar owner, a women's bar owner, about identity and bathrooms mm-hmm. and we we think about that now and you know and of course we know how to approach it and we know what the answers are and and what needs to be done and we look at we look at the past and go man we were barbaric you know even in our own community yeah. so yeah there were some challenges we were, but it was education it was it, it was education all the way
0: right and i'm sure there's always resistance that comes with learning new things but it's always about growth
2: it, yes and we're not born with the knowledge that we need to accept you, at face value, sometimes things that that are different, you know, or unknown, unfamiliar,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, even though we are the LGBTQ co- community is, you know, the a minority, oppressed, you know, community that doesn't make us smart. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah (laughs) um okay i think we're gonna transition a little bit i kind of like jumped the gun on uh, the colorado springs questions but i want to move it back to um ask about your childhood if that's all right i know that's kind of a sharp transition but (laughs)
2: that's okay no no, that's good
0: okay um so what was, your, what was your family like and what was your relationship <laughs> with your family like growing up? Uh, oh, boy. <laughs>
2: um, well, um, I grew up in a real small town uh, and it was a farm town. So it was pretty diverse. Um, and uh, my dad was a Baptist minister and so you know to kind of put it in perspective um i was born in 1959 and uh, uh so uh, that was even before jfk became president you know <laughs> right <laughs> and um, so uh i remember my childhood i still am very close with uh, with a friend that I grew up with, uh, Debbie, and uh, and uh, w- you know we were ten years old when we met, and uh, she is she was an amazing friend, you know, to uh, allow me to be gay and um, and to love me as a friend. We were inseparable, and um, so it was good in that respect. Sometimes small towns can be kind of close-minded. Yeah. And uh, we were the Bible belt of California, is what uh, we were told. And so um, my mom and dad, I was very lucky. My, my mom was born in uh, 1921, and my dad was born in 1916. And uh, so when I came out uh, at 17... Uh, I had come out to my sister, and my sister uh, told my mom, and she says, Mom, Carolyn's a lesbian, and you could see the confusion in in my mom's face, like she had to go through her thesaurus mentally of lesbian, (laughs) lesbian, (laughs) yeah, lesbian, (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, sort of like, sort of like the uh, Vegas slot machines, you know, it's turning and it's like, ding, 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 ding. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, being the Baptist minister's wife, you know, you didn't hear, hear her cuss very much at all. And so when, when the slot machine went ding, 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 and she understood it, she goes, bullshit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, but um, I was very blessed, you know, to have a family that was wonderful and loved me in spite of what they didn't understand. And mm-hmm. uh, so um, I brought girlfriends home, you know, to meet the parents and uh, and one of them, they really loved a lot. <laughs> and of course, of course, that didn't last long, did right. it? Right, <laughs> it never does. <laughs> never does. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so then, um, when I was nineteen, I, I moved to Colorado Springs, and uh, I met—I um, I know she will be okay with me saying her name, but, uh, uh I'll let, her, I'll, I'll not say it, but at any rate, at any rate, uh, met another, another, uh, woman, another girl, we were girls, you know, and, uh, and so at 19 years old, I mean, we went on to, to lead, uh, lives that, um, were prolific in our <laughs> in our activism. Um, she went on to found to be the founder of Inside Out Youth Services wow. here in town, and she's still here. So, um, so my childhood, you know, it was um, it, it was uh, pretty interesting to be in a small town. I once once ran away. And I was going to go to uh, San Francisco. I think I was about 12. And so they uh, had to go before a judge because, of course, I got caught, you know. And uh, went before a judge, and, and the, uh, she asked me, so where were you going? I said, San Francisco. And she said, what did you want to see there? And I said, hey, to because well, – we you know uh, we didn't know about the Castro yet. It was still called Hate Ashbury. And <laughs> so I was twelve years old and I'm I was determined to find queers. <laughs> A noble cause. <laughs> and then when I got in high school, um there was We were in an agricultural community, and so um, if you raised a cow, uh, then you could take it to um, the Ag Palace, the Cow Palace in San Francisco, and sell it. And that was a free trip to San Francisco, and you had oh. to go through the Castro. And <laughs> so I begged my mom, please let me raise a cow. Let me raise a cow. No, she knew me. I wouldn't raise it. I wouldn't feed it, you know, but I would take it to San Francisco so I could go, go to the Castro.
0: <laughs> that would have been such an epic story.
2: <laughs> wow. That's, wow. <laughs> so, so the moral of the story is, the point of that story is, is that um, it, it, you had to be creative to find community. We didn't have all of the uh, social media and all of the things that allow us to connect with each other. We didn't have that. And so it was easy to be isolated Mm -hmm. and feel alone and feel like you're the only one. And especially when, you know, there is a religious community that somehow it will tell you you're going to hell and all of this all the things that sometimes gets you know gets told to to kids and so yeah you have i was a creative kid
0: did you ever make it to san francisco
2: i did but it was a lot of years later
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, you said that it was hard to find community, and you had to be creative. What kinds of communities did you find um, when you were younger and and why did you find yourself um, wanting to be a part of different communities?
2: Well, I think that we're like we're like pack animals almost, you know we have to find our tribe and our pack and um and you know s- spiritual beliefs say you know like attracts like or whatever, and so I think if you look hard enough you you if you're lucky, you know you get to find people that allow you to blossom and become the your true self and I was very fortunate and um um the communities that I felt comfortable with um, a lot was uh, uh, I was the I was the Caucasian kid in a Hispanic you know Mexican community and uh, my best friend like I said I was at her house as much as she was at my house and uh, and our her parents her dad didn't speak English but in my, my parents we lived across the street from each other and they would talk as best as they could mm-hmm. so so finding that one person that allowed you to allowed me to be who I truly was it also brought together our parents who her parents were the same age as mine and so born in the 20s you know it, Over a hundred years ago, then you can imagine some of the racial biases that our parents had to put aside because we were such good friends.
0: Yeah, it's really important to have a friend like that. That's really, that's really great that you found one from so young. Are you guys still close?
2: We are. We are. Yes. Yes. She still lives in the small town, wow. um, and uh, we we talk to each other on social media. is wonderful. Um, I've been to her, her all of her children's graduations and weddings and and so on, and and I I consider it an honor to have been to be part of that family. I consider that an honor and and my family loves her just like another sister so that's beautiful yeah it's a good story that's a yeah. good story
0: um what's your relationship like with um with religion now seems like you were raised in a very religious household how did that kind of play out over time
2: I'm, I still have a connection to the, what I call the divine and a more spiritual outlook, not so much dogmatic. Uh, and I'm grateful for the religious upbringing that I had. It gave me a basis to, to feel and be comfortable with a higher power. And uh, I think that um, we're denied that so much in some evangelical and more uh, stricter uh, religions. I think that, it, you know, the, I think we're denied that relationship to a higher power for the filters, whatever filters a religion may have. Um, you know, I mean, certainly in even in my early life, it was against the law to marry someone in a different race. We have Loving versus Virginia in 1973, and um, so it wasn't until then that uh, that it was okay for uh, for interracial marriages to take place and uh, so I think that um, religion had a whole bunch of filters until we came out and this was again Tim Gill and the the instruct instructors and educators that he brought to us um, that the mantra was come out because until it affects someone and they have to reckon with the, with the uh, you know the dichotomy of that the, that I love this person but everything I know has that has been told to me tells me this is wrong and that they're terrible but I love them and so there something isn't right something has to change and that is what changes behaviors, and that's what changes the world, is belly to belly.
0: Gotcha. I think that's a very good outlook. Um, what brought you to the springs when you were 19?
2: Well, <laughs> I was in college in, um, in California, and uh, my brothers were uh, builders, and uh, there's a, a small community suburb right here in Colorado Springs on the northwest side of town called Rock Rimmen. and the company that was building the, those houses was also a company that my brothers were subcontractors for and I was the youngest so they were they were older they were adult adults with family and uh, so they moved to Colorado to build you know, for this job opportunity. And um, um, my dad was sick and uh, he had, had gotten a disease called valley fever. And it's a lung disease that is in uh, Egypt, Phoenix, and the Central Valley of California. It's in the, it's in the dirt. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, he needed to move. Uh, to a place that had, you know, better air quality than Central Valley. And uh, so my brothers talked him into moving to Colorado. And I was, I was, yes, let's go. I'll I'll help you pack. And so away we went. And um, everyone was here for a year. And the next year, Everyone left, so they abandoned me here in Colorado Springs, (laughs) (laughs) but it became my home, and after living in a small town, Colorado Springs seemed like a big town to me, and having found my tribe, you know, my pack, um, there was no place I wanted to go, no place I ever wanted to, to leave for. Right.
0: Um Colorado Springs, I mean, among other things, of course um is known for its conservatism um so what what was that like? You said you found your pack and you found your people um but like what was it like living in a moving to a city that's pretty much known for its conservatism <laughs> Well,
2: it wasn't always like that, okay, and so Uh, We we had a bar, a gay bar, called the Hide and Seek. And it's on the corner of, what is that, Walnut and and Colorado Avenue. It's all office buildings now. But that was one of the hot spots in town. And um, straight couples would be there. We had drag shows. We had... uh, Pride Fest celebrations there. I, it was an amazing time, you know, before we had focus on the family and some of the religious institutions move here. It was a live and let live kind of place. And we had lots and lots of artists that came to, to Colorado Springs in Manitou, um so it it wasn't it wasn't the the world wasn't as religious as mm-hmm. and, and oppressive in the in the late 70s and early eighties. And even though you know even though it was it was illegal, you know, in some circumstances being gay was illegal there were, we had to, we had to be aware of that and we had to be aware of our surroundings, but with each other, I was out at work. I worked at a, um, a department of defense kind of person, uh, place, um, a very large fortune 100 company here in town. And I was completely out and um I never even thought about, you know, getting fired or anything else. I once went to see an attorney when I couldn't get domestic partner benefits. You know, and they said, well, we'll have to go to the Supreme Court for that. I was like, mm, I don't think I have the money to do that. We really had no concept. I had no concept of, you know, the, the fundamental changes that we're going to have to take place to become equal and so we lived in a community with each other that supported each other and we felt safe we felt very safe here so it wasn't always like that like it is now but the world was different and Mm -hmm. so when focus on the family was one of the organizations that moved here and when they came Things began to get oppressive. But that was true for America, I think, for the United States. I think a lot of things became very conservative and very oppressive and regulated. Mm -hmm.
0: Were there some like very tangible visible shifts right after focus on the family arrived
2: oh my it... god yes oh okay
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah so we had a, a lesbian newspaper called new phases and um uh, some some of the women got together and uh, and put this newspaper together and um and i think it came out once a month and uh, so I advertised, I had become a realtor and a real estate agent and I worked for a company and, uh, and the owners saw somehow that got sent to the newspaper, got sent to my office, to my real estate office. And the owners of the real estate company thought it, they would look to see what it was. And so they opened it and saw, you know, the, the lesbian bookstore ads, the whatever, and the big Carol and Kathy ad that says, uh, you're realtor for our community. And um, through a fit, and I left that company not too long after that. And they had been loving and kind and, you know, supportive of me and, wanted me to be successful and uh and all of a sudden that was uh that was a turning point wow. and that was because all of a sudden there was uh it was okay to put pressure on people to not be gay to not be out hmm. yeah So I think that, I think that that was a big change. And the car dealer in the newspaper, uh, a local car dealer would rant and rave about gay people. Um, me and a, another guy who was, um, man, who was... Um, we were on the board of directors of the community center, and we were went on an AM radio talk show thing. We got death threats, and um, I think the F- FBI was called in. The radio station almost lost their, you know, their license over, you know, not screening the calls. They didn't think they had to. Wow. Housing. I was getting calls from people who were getting kicked out of their houses because they were gay. Their landlords didn't want them to be there. We had no protections. So I remember sitting in a a class, realtors have to do classes, you know, update our licensing stuff. And one of the big classes, there was probably 100 people in there and the instructor the instructor said you cannot discriminate against gay people. And the and many of the audience got up and walked out.
0: So there were there were equal housing laws put in place, but people just weren't following them?
2: No, we didn't have we didn't have laws. You didn't have <laughs> we, the laws. No, we just had we just had a code of ethics. In the real estate community that said we wouldn't discriminate and the association that we, the code of ethics people, that umbrella, the association of realtors um, was trying to tell people you cannot discriminate against gay people if they come to you and want to buy a house or rent a house. And many people got up out of that audience and, and walked out.
0: What did it feel like for you sitting in that office when people got up and walked out?
2: I, tru- truthfully, it, it was hurtful that they got up and walked out because I knew that they would, if they were in the majority, it was going to be a battle. Personally, I said cha-ching. I'm right here, come to me. Here's my phone number, call me. I will not discriminate. And so I ran ads in a local newspaper and, um, and it was all about being gay and uh, being out. And, uh, and I have made an above average living and have made it my personal goal to give back to the community financially from the from the proceeds of of people buying houses, mm-hmm. even lenders we had to have we had to have um, a team of people people who were doing mortgages. I picked someone whose son was gay so that there would be no discrimination, mm-hmm. so that people could you know. And couples could walk in
0: and buy a house together comfortably. That's great. So do you, so you work directly with the LGBTQ community a lot in your work? And you, I do. you must, I mean, you're, you work in real estate. You must meet hundreds of thousands of people. Are there any um, memorable experiences or encounters that um, stand out on either end of the spectrum with either, you know, instances of like extreme intolerance or the opposite?
2: Uh, There's one prominent um, realtor in town works for a different company and uh, you see his name all over the place. And it's um, uh, mostly in a uh, golfing community that he specializes in. Very wealthy, you know, very upscale homes. And, uh, And there was a deal where he had to tell his sellers, that it didn't matter that the buyer was gay because money is green. That's all we care about. And the seller, the seller says, "I don't want to sell to gay people." Well, now you go to that golfing community, and they. Nothing but women out
0: there clean, you know. <laughs> oh, how things have changed,
2: <laughs> yeah, huh,
0: yeah, that sucks. That's a bummer. <laughs> I don't really even have anything else to say. It's
2: wow. It's just different, yeah. but it's just different. We've, we've done a good job. We, people put their lives on the line to, to create a way forward. Had you asked me in 1979 if Jared Polis was going to be our governor? I couldn't imagine, I couldn't even think of that. And look at where we are. Colorado from the hate state to the great state. Now now they show up, all the politicians will show up because because we we are a swing state, we are pivotal, we are important. Yeah,
0: it must feel really good to have been a part of that transition to get us to where we are now in Colorado.
2: Well, I've worked on congressional campaigns. I worked on a Stephanie Rose Spalding's uh, campaign for Congress, and um, every day uh, the the odds were stacked against us winning, her winning. But every day we got up and we said, yes, we will do this. Every day it was, an, we could have quit any time, time, and walked away and not pursued her congressional campaign. But every day we were compelled to say yes, that we would continue the fight. And I think that that is, where the LGBTQ community had an advantage, is that there were many of us who could make sure that we had enough people, that that we were doing everything that we could. Plus it was fun. <laughs> we, I mean, if you get a bunch of gay people together with a purpose, <laughs> And alcohol, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> and some of the some of the lines were being pushed. You know, some of the uh, the boundaries were being extended, mm-hmm. and so it felt daring. And we were all young and crazy, and you know, and willing to to be to feel invincible we thought we were going to live forever so yeah, yeah it was good
0: what was what was the dating scene like in the springs when you first got here
2: well i've been serial monogamous <laughs> so. serial
0: monogamous
2: that's a good line <laughs> So the first one I was with for five years, I think, and so, um, but we had the the bar to go to. We had a women's bar, Mm -hmm. and in women's space, it is so safe. It feels very safe, and it feels very friendly. So it was not that difficult to meet people, to meet other women and uh then you know we had uh we had shows on tv that like queer as folk or the l word and we all wanted to know where the hell is that bar i have never been in that bar uh, but, you know all the women are beautiful and <laughs> all the drinks are affordable and and so you know, we all wanted a different reality, I guess. Or, you know, but, um, but it wasn't that difficult. We in going to Denver. Denver had many, many different places uh, to hang out, and uh, and so it wasn't that difficult. People hooked up.
0: Did you feel like there was a strong military presence in the LGBTQ community in the Springs?
2: yes there has always been yeah. and i don't know what the statistics are numerically the percentage of perceived gayness in the in the military in the army let's say but um there yes there there was um one of my girlfriends was a captain an army captain And it was before Don't Ask, Don't Tell, or during, I guess. And um, so the military has always had its own underground uh, connections. And um, many in the 90s, uh, that um, they were stationed in Europe. So there was a much more free, free uh, lifestyle, I guess, um, ability to live free, more freely in some of the European bases um, that, that they were stationed at. So uh, relationships were formed and, uh, and there's that uh, we had a Christmas party because um, she he was, uh, the girlfriend was, uh, we had a Christmas party and uh, gave them, um, gave, yeah, invited over the enlisted.
0: Wait, I'm sorry, you cut out with that last sentence. Do you mind just repeating that last thought?
2: Sure. Sorry sure. about that. We had, so she was, she was an officer. We had the Christmas party. And, um, you know, we invited all of the gay people uh, in, who were enlisted who could, who were not able to go home for Christmas and uh, walked around the neighborhood singing Christmas carols <laughs> and just kind of trying to provide a, you know, kind of a home celebration for them. And, but that was no different than what the heterosexual officers we're doing for the heterosexual enlisted people, right. so so yeah, we had our own um, own underground in the military. Nice.
0: Was that new coming from your hometown?
2: I didn't know a lot of military people. Um, both my brothers had served in the army for a short period of time and uh, a brother-in-law was in the navy for for 20 years but um, but people my own age you know um, 10 years prior to to that was the Vietnam war Mm -hmm. so I grew up with a different perspective of military than perhaps you know later down the road where it was seen as more heroic and honorable.
0: Gotcha. Hmm. Um what kinds of Wait, let me rephrase. <laughs> um so your experience with the LGBTQ community in the Springs um what kinds of struggles did you encounter with that community was it really easy to enter Um, highlights you know kind of like were there any catalyzing relationships that you formed here um in that community sorry that was a lot Um, of questions
2: (laughs) yeah no that's okay um i guess it's i guess it's easier to um to kind of Break it down into uh, time segments. Uh, in the early days, things were just beginning. Uh, uh, Stonewall had just happened, um, so gay people were energized and had this new passion in, um, for uh, activism. You know, we and so. So things were on the cutting edge um, during the uh, late 70s and early 80s. I think that um, Metropolitan Community Church was just beginning, and that was an acceptance in a religious sense that we never had. Um, and the, here in town, uh, they were meeting at, in the basement of All Souls Unitarian uh, a place on and so so uh we were finding ways to create that community and uh and we had uh i don't remember what year it was but uh the colorado springs independent newspaper um was the weekly listings of everything that was happening and I think they have personal ads and and, uh, allowed same-sex personal ads we had never seen anything like that we were excited so so things were things progressed you know they progressed but um, I didn't find it hard because we had a place we had a brick and mortar we knew that no matter what day of the week, I mean, uh, Monday was Monday night football. Tuesday was two for Tuesdays, you know, and Wednesday we had, karaoke. I don't think it was karaoke. I think we had something else then. And uh, Thursday was a pool tournament. And Friday night was, you know, free for all and Saturday was couples night after you hooked up on a Friday night and Sunday was beer bust, and, and then you started over. So it, but we had a brick and mortar place. We knew where we knew someone in our family, in our tribe, in our, you know, uh, universe was going to be at that place. And we could always go there.
0: Nice. That's an important space to have.
2: I, I don't think we have a lot of safe places like that now. There are a few, I think we have one or two bars uh, in town, but now it's safer, I guess, for us to go to mainstream bars or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. you can go, you can go, well, before COVID, I don't know what's going to happen next year, you know, but, but we could go to, we could go to, to um, poor Richard's, you know, any night of the week. And we could then, too. Richard opened up his place to everyone. Um, the story goes during Amendment 2 that uh, people were meeting at, at poor Richard's to strategize of what to, what to do against commitment Two, uh, from the queer community. And, you know, a truckload of people who didn't like the queer community shot out the windows at Poor Richard's. And so Richard Scorman is, you know, he's been our vice mayor. He's, you know, been uh, on city council again. You know, he has certainly been our champion for 40 years. Yeah. And he has always offered safe space for us.
0: What other kinds of safe spaces do you, do you feel like you have here in the Springs? Today? Yeah.
2: Or back then? Both. <laughs> okay. Well, so I think I touched a little bit on how uh, we didn't really have a, uh, bookstores, uh, or ways to, uh, Mm -hmm. to um, read, you know, and get education and, and, um, except to go to a a place that was called a gay bookstore. And uh, a friend who is still here in town and a graduate of Colorado College opened up a, uh, a women's bookstore. And so we could, we could find, um, I think it was Alison Bechtel, who um, I think is the name of the author. Uh, she did cartoons and stuff, and uh, and we had girl magazines that you know talked about lesbian life and who the new hottie was, and um, you know it was it was we had those things. And so we had designated queer space. And now, you know, I think everyone just goes everywhere. And, uh, and so maybe it's a little bit risky, maybe it's a little different, you know, um, and uh, not so targeted, perhaps. Yeah. And, but Pride Fest, It's not unusual to see families there now these days, right? And it wasn't always the case. It was, you know, mostly gay people and we surrounded each other with gayness and protected each other when we were threatened.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that like, before every space was virtually or virtually every space was inclusive that they were more like designated queer spaces and now that like the most of the spaces in the springs are more inclusive they're less designated spaces which like it's it's a great thing of course that many more businesses and places are more inclusive but it must be hard to not have those designated bars and bookstores and community spaces
2: i think so um i see online sometimes women talking about uh boy wish we had a women's bar you know um, people that i'm still friends with where we hung out at a women's bar and we had you know women bands that would you know would come lesbian musicians or it was just women's space and um, you know the I think those days are are gone and but we worked really hard to make them go away we worked really hard and now it's like dang <laughs> kind of miss it you know kind of miss it but um, but yeah it's the product of you know our labor of, of love that uh, that made people don't have to use gay realtors. Now they don't, they, ha, we have laws that protect gay people, couples from being discriminated against in housing. So I guess it, it's the same, you know, we got what we worked so hard for. Yeah.
0: But at the same time, with the arrival of Focus on the Family, it feels like a crazy, like, transition in time, where now they're, like you're saying, you got what you you worked for, but now it's much more conservative than it was in the past. It's complicated.
2: It is complicated. Um, You know, I there was a time when we could only we could only hope that a politician from either party from any of the parties would champion equal rights for gay people and now in some of some not all in, but in some There is, they know that, uh, hell, we have, we have, what, uh, Log cabin Republicans? Uh, It's like, you know, so, so we got what we worked for in many respects, Um, and it is different. Work isn't done yet. It can be taken away day after tomorrow. We get a different Supreme Court and all the things that we took for granted are in the wind and then we start over. That much I know to be true, is that whatever whatever the circumstances, whatever the trouble, whatever the problem, we will rise again. And we're seeing us joining communities now like uh, Black Lives Matter where communities across all spectrums are coming together and fighting against injustice. So it's not just one targeted group. It's all of us who recognize that justice must be done. What
0: Change, do you think, still needs to happen in the LGBTQ community in the Springs and the greater LGBTQ
2: movement? I think we have a long ways to go on trans rights. I really, I I think that we we're getting there step by step, but that's a new that's the frontier. That's a frontier that we have to too many people getting killed and murdered and um that's our frontier now um locally i would love to see someone openly gay be elected to city council that we have two districts in town the west side and we have um uh, Uh, West Side and uh, downtown, Patty Jewett, uh, Colorado College. That is the the liberal hub. And there are enough votes. And I would love to see an openly gay person get elected to city council.
0: Yeah. That would be cool. I'd vote.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to transition again um, back a little bit back towards childhood not too much um, I wanted to ask about what um, what your support system looked like when you were younger when you moved here how it's changed
2: well Stonewall riots had just happened, you know, a couple of years prior to that. So we're talking, you know, the late eight, uh, late seventies and early eighties. And, um, uh, so we had this newfound passion for activism and, uh, we felt empowered. Stonewall empowered the gay community and, uh, so things were cropping up, like I say the you know the community center started here in Colorado Springs in nineteen seventy eight and it was part of um I think it was part of uh a program at the health department and uh, so from institutionalized uh support. It was just beginning, you know, then. It was just beginning. Um, And when Amendment 2 happened and Tim Gill, um, who was a billionaire and uh, and spent his money in Colorado Springs um, to create the Gill Foundation, and it was the best thing in the whole world people saw us differently than just the conservative community, Uh, you know, the conservative bastion of right-wing religious people. And uh, we had the National Gay Lesbian Task Force come from New York City, you know, from the city to teach us about different things. And people uh, were being taught by... um, Brilliant, brilliant activists and uh, leaders of the nonprofit world creating change was, you know, was coming about. Um, That that I creating change was. um, I think they still have it where it's a a training for LGBTQ um, nonprofits. And uh, and Tim Gill created. Um, a nonprofit for the symphony and the theater and the fine arts center and all of these, you know, um, mainstream places and said, I will give you money, but you will hang a banner that says gay and lesbian. And it made people say it out loud. And so there was a lot of support being be foundations were being created and what about
0: like individual support systems any like catalyzing relationships that you developed when you first got to the springs
2: well you know we relied heavily on colorado college to bring in people who were pretty savvy <laughs> and made and made, you know us be um, aware and you know uh, so one of the uh, one of the advisors on the gay and lesbian community center was a, uh, a professor a tenured professor from Colorado College so CC was kind of a hub for us um, if we needed something we knew who to call. There were, uh, one of the professors there um, brought a lawsuit against a community, a subdivision that said you had to join a church or you couldn't buy the property there. And it was changed because of a professor from CC that brought that lawsuit. And so, individual support um, like how do you how do you date uh, what happens when you get into a fight with your partner um, what happens if the parents of your partner hates you and won't let you see them and those kinds of edu- educational you know personal support, items that taught us there were groups at cc and barely at uccs but it was getting there it was getting there um and so we were meeting people people in the community that were already here were stepping up and creating these support groups so that we could learn you know so that we did have mentors and uh, people that we could look up
0: to. Yeah. Did any of those things that you mentioned ever happen to you where you gone to a fight with a partner and didn't know what to do or like oh, needed. Hell yeah.
2: yeah? <laughs> you can't be in a you can't be in a relationship when you're nineteen and not get into a fight and go, I don't know what I did. What did I That's do wrong? How did this goes so <laughs> terrible. <laughs>
0: so who did you call like what did you what did you do
2: well there was a group um, a support group like group therapy almost you know and uh, and I was very fortunate I got to talk about my feelings and 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 the therapists that were that had this group you know, they were it was wonderful, I guess, now looking back on it. at the time I thought this is full of shit, but they said, you know, well, you can't really do this and expect your relationship to be smooth, you know. So so you know that's part of growing up. That's part of that. And fortunately, we had groups forming, you know that, allowed us to learn how to be you can't at that time you didn't get to go to your parents and say you know we got into a fight because she was looking at another girl and it makes me jealous and this that the other or whatever um you know or we're not having sex because of lesbian bed death those are things that you you know your parents you don't have that talk with your mom right (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I guess mostly right. in my age group anyway, and so so yes, I, there were groups that formed, you know, that um, that taught us how to be good good partners when we didn't have the luxury of family. Right?
0: Were these were these groups based out of Colorado College, or were they more like community oriented? Um,
2: so, some were from CC, uh, sponsored by CC, and um, and others were put on by the community center, which was part of the health department in some respects. So, um, you know, we had a little bit of funding uh, that, you know, and many volunteers, many volunteers. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, the community center, the gay, gay and lesbian community center is what it was called. Um, we did have to provide certain amounts of healthcare in, and especially mental healthcare, you know? Um, so yeah, we had it.
0: It just sounds amazing. Like it sounds like you, you somehow like created a, an incredibly supportive network in the springs when it didn't exist and and then it just existed that's it's very impressive stonewall
2: i was a catalyst across the nation and when we have people coming from around the globe to go to school in you know at colorado college or you know to be in in colorado we, we were, this was, this is a charmed place. This place is magic. And we, out of the ashes of Amendment 2, look where we are. We have Jared Polis as the governor. We were one of the first to have civil unions. We are an amazing place. And an inclusive place. We have we have uh, LGBT legislators, and in our state. So this is this is a place of magic. This is we have a community and committed citizens here, and we're fortunate. I feel fortunate to be part of that to help in any way you know that we can of course but to have been part of the foundation building right after stonewall
0: yeah it's very powerful i think that might be all of the questions that i have for you (laughs) <laughs> um, Zara, do you have any any more questions for
1: Caroline? Yeah, I think I have two more questions actually. Uh, the first is how has um, how would you define your family now? Like, who would you consider your family, and how does that compare to what it used to be?
2: <sighs> well, biological family uh we're spread out over several states, and I'm the only one that lives in Colorado. So, uh, but it's a rite of passage that um, it, the younger nieces and nephews who are uh, in relationships, before they get married, they come to visit me, and they have to hike the incline. If they can't hike the incline, then... <laughs> there's second thoughts about that relationship um so as in all things the more familiar and um, used to things that you are the easier it is you know to incorporate that in your life and I'm very fortunate that my biological family I am, I'm incorporated in, I think we're on the fourth generation of kids now, you know, uh, um, my, me, uh, nieces and nephews, their children, so great, and then their children now are, you know, are, are growing up and, uh, and they are, everyone is very comfortable with me. And so, so that's the biological. And then the tribe part, our family of choice, boy, COVID kind of whittles things down. Um, and uh, But I'm still in touch with on social media with people that I have known since I was 19 years old. And so many still live here in town. Um, they're raising families and their children are raising families. And so our need to spend all of our time with our friends because our family has cast us aside is different now. And so I think we still have our family of choice. But many times it's not, you know, uh, the lonely, the loneliest life that, uh, we used to know. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And then on top of that, I was just wondering, um, when social media came into play more, what was it like, like linking up with people you hadn't spoken to in so long?
2: Oh man. So, uh, I, (laughs) you know, I, I had a dog that, um, it, AOL, you know, it, it, when you signed off of AOL, it would say goodbye in this synthetic voice. And my dog was trained to know that I was hanging up and he would take off. <laughs> um, and so so it, even in the early days of, of social media, in these chat rooms and Cyber sex. I I mean, these names are seem so archaic now, you know, (laughs) and, uh, but it was like a new frontier. And so people were hooking up with, with other people, with other gay people across the country. And next thing you know, they're moving. Oh, yeah, we, you know, we met in St. Louis and, you know, now we're moving here and there. and, 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 creating lives that never would have, you know, would have been created without technology. And so the world is a much smaller place than it was before. And uh, that's good. That's good that we can, uh, we can expand our horizons. And it's good to be connected to people that I partied with in, you know, back in the day. I mean, I was there for, you know, 1999. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it keeps us alive, I think. Yeah.
1: And I guess uh, my last question is just how would you right now define your legacy? And how How do you want to be able to see people or have people
2: see you as your legacy? Uh, Well, I probably gave away more money than I kept. And uh, I guess that would be the legacy is that I was fortunate enough to be able to contribute financially to our community but man, we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. And I would I would say that if I was remembered for anything, it was just a lot of laughter. Okay. That's great. Um I
0: think before we sign off, like we said at the beginning, this, you know, we want this to be, this to capture your story the way you want to tell it. So if there's anything left that you think that we left out that you want to include, anything else that you want to say, the floor is yours.
2: <laughs> mm. Well, I think that going forward, we have to remain fearless. Whatever is asked of us to do, we have to step up and we have to provide a way for the next leaders to take the reins and move us in that direction. So that's it. <laughs> it's up to you guys now. <laughs> All right, we got it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> i will ready to check. Where do I send it?
0: <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. We we really appreciate it, and you had so many great things to say. Um, <laughs> you did.
2: <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Well, I applaud you. Thank you for for doing what you're doing. It's important. That's a good story. We tell a good story here.
0: It's a great place to tell a story. and I think the story is going to keep going for a while here in the Springs.
2: <laughs> I know it will. Yeah. All right, my friends. Thank you again. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Um, we're going to email you pretty shortly after asking for um, a picture, if that's all right, <laughs> to attach to the audio recording, just like a, okay. a headshot or something. Um, OK. But thank you again. We really, really appreciate it. This was awesome.
2: Thank you. Happy to do it. If there's any way that I can help, let me know. OK. All, all, right. Right. all right. Have bye a good bye. night. You bye.